Welcome to Ascending Olympus, your favourite Australian Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and this week, once again, I'm joined by Michelle and Dan. So how are the two of you today? I'm good. Very busy, slightly sanded by some figure skating related news. We'll get to that. Look, as much as there was drama about the figure skating Grand Prix, it's fair to say it wasn't the most drama-filled Grand Prix we saw in the last week. It's a good <laughs> thing we're not a motorsport podcast. I'll give you that. How are you, Jackie? I'm good. I mean, as far as sports that are not in the Olympics yet, but could be in the Olympics in a couple of years, cricket is back for Australians and, and how very enjoyable, it? very enjoyable day one of the Ashes. <laughs> I'm hoping that I'll be just as happy tomorrow night when this episode does actually go out. Yeah, exactly. But we've actually got some exciting Ascending Olympus news to start off with tonight. And that is we do have a new home. I hinted at it last week. And if you follow us on Twitter or Instagram, you will have seen what this announcement is. But we will be joining the Edge of the Crowd's podcast network. And the Edge of the Crowd website will be launching on January 3rd at the start of next year. It's really exciting news and it means that we have just enough time to make sure that we can get all of our Olympic stories up as well. So just like we had going into Tokyo, we'll have a preview of every single sport. Um, difference is this time it won't be a written article that no one reads. It's going to be in the form of some video content, which is really exciting. And then as we get to the Olympics, we'll have, again, one of the most comprehensive coverages going around to make sure that we keep you up to date with everything happening at the Olympics. Yeah, and if you do enjoy like reels or TikTok kind of things, you can actually find the exact same reels that we put up on Instagram each week on TikTok on the edge of the crowds. TikTok, along with as of right now, some cricket coverage and some other like culture kind of coverage. No, it's going to be really exciting. I'm really looking forward to kicking off with the edge of the crowd. It's going to be a lot of fun and um, we're going to have a great time covering the Olympics and the Paralympics and then into the Commonwealth Games. So there's plenty happening. And it's been a big weekend once again when it comes to our Aussie Winter Olympics hopefuls. Uh, we'll start with the big air events. And Maddie Cox was in Steamboat, Colorado last weekend, ended up finishing in 38th place, but his scores are actually quite impressive, in particular his second score. He started with a 33.50, and then in his second run, he got a 45.25, which Shows that there is big room for improvement. Um, that first run obviously was not ideal, but he's not got a ceiling as of yet. And there's this incredible Instagram shot of him mid-run. And um, if you weren't sure why the event was called Big Air, it's quite clear based on the photo. He'd be, what, seven or eight metres in the air in that photo, at least. Close to it. I'm also, like, looking at the photo, it's a little bit like, which way did he jump off of it? <laughs> Is he coming towards the camera or away from the camera? Maddie Cox had the big air, but um, of course there was some small news as well, wasn't there, Jackie? Two-time Olympian Greta Small started her World Cup campaign last weekend uh, in Lake Louise, Canada. And once again, not the best results for the Aussies. In her first downhill run, she finished in 50th. And then she had a big improvement in her second run, ended up 44th. And her best result of the actual tournament was in the Super G event, which she got a 43rd overall. 
and definitely demonstrates once again that there is room for for improvement. Seeing those rankings rise from run to run and then on to the next event is quite promising given that this is just the um, beginning of her campaign. Yeah, and on top of that, like the fact that she's going from Canada to Switzerland, like she could get different results on these different courses and maybe in the European conditions it will favour her better. But uh, we've got another skeleton, like, Big skeleton results this weekend as well, Dan. Yeah, well, both Jackie Narricott and Nick Timmings um, had personal best this week. Narricott finished 15th with her quickest time ever of 58.66 on the Altenberg track, which is fast. That is, you know, comparable speeds to some of the bobsleds, uh, which is really impressive. And uh, Timmings had a best ever result of 19th. His Combined time was about three seconds quicker than Narricot, which is kind of what we expect. But it means that at the moment, both athletes are actually well on the way to having a quota spot at the Olympics, which is really exciting, um, especially to be in that sort of position this early in the season. And that's all we're hoping for for these World Cup results. Like, yes, some podiums will be nice. And we've said this about the bobsled as well, but getting these last little quota spots is what we actually want to see from these athletes. And speaking of bobsled... For the first time this season, we had um, Brie and Ash at different competitions in the women's bobsled. So Brie was out at Winterberg, which meant that she skipped the World Cup to compete in the European Cup race. And it worked. She won gold in the monobob, um, which is really exciting and and obviously continues putting her on track for a spot for monobob qualification for the Olympics. Ash raced World Cup and improved on her results from the previous week with a 17th in both the monobob and the bobsled, um, which is a couple of spots higher than she's been over the last few weeks. So it is a slight improvement. And I think Bree's staying in Winterberg to race again this weekend. Um, and Ash has gone across to Lake Placid to race in the States. Um, but Ash was racing in uh, someone else's sled because her sled was sent off to Lake Placid already ahead of time. And I don't think the fami- the unfamiliar sled went quite to plan. There is a clip of Ash coming down the hill in what can only be described as the uh, BMX equivalent of a bobsled position. <laughs> with, oh, my God. Got <laughs> real dicey uh, at points. Yeah. The save of the century, I think we're going to call that one. I guess it harkens back to maybe skateboarding at the Olympics of just doing like a grind, <laughs> that kind of thing. That's a, that's a good um, way to describe it. <laughs> She also, I think it was that heat that she had the 13th fastest time as well. It was just like things went wrong and she still was very quick and it could have ended up in a crash. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's really positive signs, especially to be pushing that fast in an unfamiliar slate is a good sign for Ash. And obviously Ash and Brie both have a bit of work to do in the two women um, and Ash has a bit of work to do in the monobob because Brie's flying in that competition at the moment. So it will be interesting to see as we get closer how those points are stacking up in terms of quota spots and how they're actually going to work to get there. And I guess you could say across the the pond, Michelle, <laughs> there was a bit of news. Oh, God. Crossing over to cross country, Australia sent quite a substantial team to compete at the Continental Cup to begin their 2021-22 Northern Hemisphere season. Some strong results here. Jessica Yeaton finished eighth in the women's 10 kilometer classic and was just 13 seconds outside of the top five 
um, while also being 10th in the freestyle sprint and 14th in the freestyle mass start distance event. That's a really positive set of results for you. To kick off the season in that sort of place is a really good sign, puts her in good stead for a qualification spot. And to be, what, 13 seconds is, I mean, it feels like a lifetime in some of these sports that we talk about, but over 10 kilometers, 13 seconds doesn't seem like very much. So that's really exciting news. Yeah, depending on what that where that final turn is, like you can see people finishing is what that means a lot of the time. But we also had some other strong results from the Aussie women. Casey Wright and Amy Watson finished 20th and 21st uh, in the women's 10K, just one second apart, which I think it was in the cycling or maybe it was in the marathon. We saw some Aussies finishing uh, like next to one another in the races which I do kind of like to see, I'm not going to lie. Well, Zana Evans finished 26th in the freestyle sprint. And considering that was her first time racing in the open division, I think that's a result that she has to be really happy with. And then in the men's, Severa Campo was Australia's top finisher in the 15-kilometre classic, uh, finished in 41st place. And Philip Bellingham finished 49th in the same event. In the, in the freestyle sprint, um, obviously, which is a much shorter race, Lars Young Vic with a traditional Aussie name, was the fastest Aussie in the men's. He finished a second outside of qualifying for finals in 33rd, um, which is, again, you know, a really good sign and definitely on the way to a quota spot. So I'd say it was a pretty successful weekend for our cross-country skiers in the season opener, uh, but they'll be hoping to to keep pulling that off over the next few weeks. This weekend, they're in Davos for the World Cup event. Um so hopefully they'll see some important people, some billionaires, some government leaders and some good snow. And the next set of results, which I think Australians can be very happy with, are Laura Peel and Danielle Scotts in the aerial events. Uh, they both came away with the top five this weekend. Yeah, so that's that's really exciting because Peel was the only female competitor jumping triples. No big which, deal. You know, no big deal. Um, she didn't quite nail the landing in the final um, and so she finished fourth instead. But the fact that she's doing triples this early in the season and is the only one doing them is a really good sign. Um, and Danielle Scott um, finished fifth in the second event on the next day um, with a double twist, double back somersault. I don't even want to think about what, like how sick you would feel after doing a movement like that. But scoring 89.18 put her fifth, which is really exciting as well. And hopefully is the start of a really strong season. It definitely feels like they're both results that can be built upon and definitely shows promise for the later competitions in the season. Yeah, and they're great results for starting an Olympic season as well. The biggest event, which is still ongoing and we won't actually have a official result until next week, is the curling Olympic qualifiers, which... We sent Tali Gill and Dean Hewitt as the mixed curling team from Australia. They've had some really good results. They are currently, and there is a match ongoing as we're actually recording, 4-0. Um, in their current match against Hungary, they are 5-3 up with three ends to play. So by the end of this episode, we will actually have a result, hopefully. <laughs> It's a great result um, because of their win overnight against Russia. They have qualified to the knockout finals. And... There is only two teams that actually qualify from the Olympics from this event. And we're the top qualifying team in our group currently. 
But if we lose this match against Hungary or lose one of the other two remaining matches, we may qualify second. Those damn time zones are just screwing us over. <laughs> um, so, well, speaking of time zones that were screwing us over, I tried really hard to stay up for the Moguls last weekend. And it was just one of those points where I was just like, oh, I'm so sleepy and ended up falling asleep. And I missed out on seeing Jakara Anthony get her first silver medal for the season. So after qualifying for finals in third with a 74.71, performing a new D-spin 720 jump on the top air, which is the first jump that they do, it's not surprising that she won a medal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is the kind of thing that tends to win you medals, doing 720s. Um, And it's the first time in the competition that we've seen that. So, you know, that's really exciting as well. Generally stands you in good stead. Yeah. Uh, as far as the other Aussie women are concerned, Britt Cox finished 18th. She was one of the other Australian women that reached the Olympic final in 2018. Taylor O'Neill finished in 25th and Sophie Ash finished in 27th. Right now, they're probably all looking at being in the, that four-member women's team for the Olympics. And then in the men's, we had two top 10 finishers with Brody Summers in 7th and Maddie Graham in 10th. And then we also had James Matheson in 22nd, which... It's a good weekend for, I reckon, the Aussies in the Moguls, where it's probably our best event as far as winter sports are concerned. But at the same time, getting a seventh, a tenth, and then also a silver medal, <laughs> that's what we like to see, especially in their first event for the season. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, perfectly the way to start your season. And hopefully it's just the first result and we're going to see you know, even further improvement um, and hopefully a big bunch of play- uh, athletes qualifying for the Olympics. Yeah, the goal at this point, I think, especially in the Winter Olympics, is as many athletes getting a chance to compete at Beijing as possible. And Moguls is an event where I think currently we have four in each, or maybe it's four in the women's and three in the men's, but it is considered our best event for a reason, because we at least qualify as the maximum amount of athletes the same way that we would in say swimming at the summer olympics no fingers crossed we have just as much success as the aussie swimmers had in that case because um, <laughs> what was it seven seven or eight gold medals for emma mckeon another five for kaylee like i mean it wasn't seven or eight gold medals for emma mckeon it was seven medals but details, details. <laughs> yeah um we might move on to the more serious news of the week um Although this first one is a little bit more positive, and that is that the IOC has officially said that the Beijing Winter Olympics will not be postponed despite COVID-19, um, and in particular, the new Omicron variant. Yeah, so that's an interesting... I mean, it's it's kind of unsurprising. China have been pretty steadfast from the beginning that it will go ahead, there will be no hiccups, there will be no problems. So I'm not really surprised that that's the case, but we'll wait and see what happens. I don't don't really have any doubts. Yeah. Obviously, it was very frustrating with Tokyo having it delayed and delayed and delayed. So having this kind of steadfast announcement at this point in time um, feels like they've really learned something from what those delays did to our fatigue and the way that we felt when the event finally happened. Exactly. And I think on top of that, the announcements that came think it was last week maybe it was the week before about the stricter measures both when it comes to uh, athletes being vaccinated but then also like how they're going to be handling um, different procedures as far as making sure that COVID doesn't get into the Olympic Village this time around is proof of how serious they are taking this event. Yeah absolutely so hopefully we see 
plenty of easy kind of protocol following and, and everything kind of runs smoothly and you know there'll be no surprise and we'll get a nice successful olympics but other news came through and this is just an announcement that came out today and that was that australia is joining the united states in the diplomatic boycott of beijing 2022 which doesn't really make a difference on whether the athletes are going and the Australian Olympic Committee has come out and said that they are glad that they are still receiving the financial support, but no Australian diplomats will be going. And it's not surprising. As soon as the Americans announced it, I was like, we're going to follow suit because that's what we do. I mean, yes, but I think also we've got to be realistic in the sense that China were pretty clear that they weren't going to be visitors mm. coming in. So we weren't going to be seeing diplomats anyway. And this is a kind of it's a political posturing. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that our athletes are all going. Our athletes are supported in going and we can just get on with the games. Yeah, kind of people have come out to kind of suggest that there is a separation between politics and sports, which obviously quite dubious of a claim to be making um obviously any international event is a space for soft power without um with this diplomatic boycott obviously that doesn't happen but in at this stage kind of obviously the goal is to have as many australian athletes being able to go as possible and that should be the focus don't know if I'd call it ignorant or call it arrogant to claim that like sport shouldn't be political because sport is probably one of the most political things in the world, especially the Olympics, like outside of obviously like politics, <laughs> but the Olympics is an inherently political event. And I a little bit wonder if we hadn't have been given that Brisbane 2032 bid in Tokyo, whether this diplomatic boycott still would have been declared. Because whilst we do follow suit with the Americans a lot, at the same time, if they were like, well, if you don't, like, if you make this big declaration, we're not going to announce it for a little bit longer and make you squirm a little bit longer. Would that have made a difference? Maybe not. But at the same time, it's just bizarre. And I think that the what New Zealand has actually said, where they're saying that realistically we're not sending any officials, but it's not because of, like, a diplomatic boycott. It's because of COVID. Is the most sensible and like logical approach where everyone just goes oh yeah of course that makes sense rather than as dan said political posturing i mean i think that at the end of the day we're going to look back on this and kind of go well you know this was a whole lot of talking and not a lot of real action or doing um and at the end of the day the olympics ran the same way and i think it'll be a pretty small note in history i mean as it is there's a pretty small note on the boycotts that took place in the the cold war and those were actual boycotts hmm. Like where countries didn't send athletes. Like I, I, that's a pretty small note. I don't think that we're going to be talking about a diplomatic boycott in eight months, to be honest. Well, and especially like, I reckon the only reason that we in Australia even really hear about those boycotts in the 80s and throughout the Cold War period is to just be like, Australia is one of four countries that has never boycotted an Olympics. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like we get it. We're awesome. We go to every Olympics. We don't necessarily medal a whole bunch every single time, but at least it's we show the up. only reason we, we haven't boycotted is that we see that as when other countries are boycotting, it's a perfect opportunity to grab more medals because there'll be less competitors. That's what it's really about at the heart of it. I'm yeah, showing you off your the- perfect attendance. <laughs> it is like that yeah on the last day of school in assembly when it's like this person went to school every single day this year and it's like okay great you showed up to school sick a couple of times as well though 
<laughs> showed up and didn't meddle a couple of times as well. So yeah. that's okay. We don't hold that against you. Um, but Michelle, you hinted at some news at the start of the show. Do you want to explain what's happened in figure skating this week? Wait, which Grand Prix are we talking about? The, the final or um, Saudi Arabia? Final. Not the, <laughs> not the F1 Grand Prix. Right, go for it, Michelle. So the Grand Prix final of figure skating has been cancelled due to uh, developments with COVID variants and the like. Um, it was in a, it was meant to be held in Osaka. Uh, it would have started tomorrow, basically. However, um, with the epidemic, Japan closed its borders to all foreigners. And in the days where Jackie and I thought maybe the event could occur, that did mean that we were worried about uh, not just foreign athletes, but also any Japanese athlete that had a non-Japanese coach. Yeah. Um, and luckily, it seems like as far as Japan Nationals is concerned, those non-Japanese coaches will be let into Japan. But the Grand Prix final is cancelled, unfortunately. Well, air quotes cancelled because they actually said postponed. And we're talking about hosting it at the end of the season. And that could mean between Worlds and the Olympics, but I think that's actually doubtful because of when the Junior World Championships are and there is a Junior Grand Prix final attached to the Grand Prix final. Or it could be hosted after the World Cup. And that means that it'll fall like what is in the every other season um, of World Team Trophy weekend, likely. But at the same time, I'm like, it's cancelled. It's not happening. <laughs> like, don't bother. Only it would be bizarre if they did that because the point of Grand Prix final is to be a momentum builder for the Olympics. And most skaters who attend the Olympics retire usually right after the Olympics, including a lot of the ones who qualified for this Grand Prix final. So who's going to be there if we do it at yeah. the end of the season? I think that this helps more than anyone else, the people that are in the ultimate positions, because some people will end their seasons or end their careers following the Olympics. Others might stay for the world championships. And some might just be like, oh, well, we didn't get to go to the Olympics. We didn't get to go to world championships, but look at us. We made the Grand Prix final by default, basically. Hey, like, like we were talking about with the boycotts, when you look back in history, no one's going to say that was the one you went by default. You're still going to say Grand Prix winner on the resume and that's all that people need. Well, so Dan, we've been like teaching you a little bit about figure skating over the past seven weeks and we thought we might do who we'd predict to win each event. So we'll start yeah. with... I have to say, I was really disappointed because I put in all this work to prepare for predictions for an event that's now not happening. So, you know, you're oh. just going to have to listen to me blow hot air anyway. <laughs> I'm sure you're taking this very seriously, but we'll start well, I mean, with the men's. And Dan, it, I'm going to let you go first. So then you can hear I mine mean, and Michelle's sensible predictions after. I mean, I, I, I would have lent with Yuzuru Hanyu, but obviously with his injury, he wasn't going to be there. Or if he was, he wasn't going to be competing well. That's um, fair. So of the people that are left? <laughs> Nathan Chen, for sure. Easy. No question. I mean, that's what we all said about Skate America and he came third. But okay, Michelle, who would you have picked to win the men's? I would have probably said, given that it is a Japanese Grand Prix final, I think the Japanese skaters have a pretty strong chance at finishing high up on the podium. So here we have Yuma Kagiyama and Shoma Uno. Because of the way that they're training and their consistency that they demonstrated through the Grand Prix, 
Yuma Kageyama, I would say, feels like a bit more of a solid bet. Yeah, I definitely agree that Yuma is probably the most solid bet out of the Japanese skaters. He was also the only men's skater to get two first places at the Grand Prix. Also, he is the current world silver medalist, but at the same time, uh, uh, I, I do see the argument uh, for Nathan Chen. I just think the that- two of you arguing that uh, the location of an event and the judging panel of an event might mean that there would be an unfair result in the event or a more predictable result in the event because it's it's an Dan, awful lot I, of what it sounds like right now. Dan, did I or did I not say last week that the Rostelecom Cup was not rigged, but it was rigged? I mean, all I'm saying is it sounds a little bit like fate complete here. And so, you know. I think that it helps. Also, the fact that they won't have to travel, like there is different advantages. Like it's like home ice in a way or like way competing at your it. home grounds. <laughs> The way I understand it is basically I think the Japanese skaters particularly are very energized when they skate in Japan. Um, And it usually means that they are performing a little bit more. Um, Their condition often feels a little bit better. And therefore, they often deliver really strong performances when they are competing um, domestically. Also, Japanese like crowds are fantastic. And I think it really does help. But we'll move on to the ladies, and I think I can guess what you're going to say, Dan. Well, do you want to say guess at what I was going to say? Um, no, because I'm nervous that you're going to say something really out of pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that um, I'm sure that the winner had the Grand Prix final would have gone along would have been one of the Russian girls whose name I can't pronounce. Probably <laughs> Camila Valieva. Oh, that's the easiest of the names to pronounce, Dan. <laughs> it gets harder um, there. As I was saying, a Russian woman whose name I can't pronounce. I mean, there's five of them, so you have a five and six chance of being correct, at least in this case. Right? Like this is a really strong prediction <laughs> from me. Okay, Ken, if you're gonna say if you had to pick it was Camilla, what is your reasoning as to why? <laughs> I think she's been the most consistent throughout the season. And I mean, she's not one of the gold medal favorites at the Olympics for no reason. Um, you don't tend to build a reputation like that over the last few seasons and even this season without being in that kind of form. And, you know, Grand Prix final is a momentum builder. So momentum for the favorite for me. I'm very surprised you didn't mention all the records that she's been breaking that we can't stop mentioning on podcast yeah. episodes. It's mostly because like I can never tie names to records. I'm terrible mm-hmm. at it. Fair enough. You're new, you're new to the sport. Um, yeah, I, my question is not if Camilla would win, it's if she would break all three world records again. And the way that I could very easily see it, and I'm a big fan of Kauri Sakamoto, is that it's like five Russians and then Kauri. Did, did Valieva, was Valieva the one who had the 204 or the 206? No, or was that like a it 160? Like, it was, it was like, are you talking about a combined score? Yeah. No, it was like a 270 something yeah it's <laughs> just the problem the, the numbers are just getting too high for this early in the season that's what we've been saying um <laughs> all right what about pairs well it's got to be your favorite combo swain hard for the pairs yeah <laughs> that is my choice even though i think that i'm gonna be I, if it was actually happening i think i would end up being wrong <laughs> michelle would you have also gone with swain hard Yes, but that's also because I'm biased. Um, with the pairs, I'm just like, whatever happens, happens. I'm just so happy that the Japanese made it. Yeah, that's true. And are they a medal chance? Maybe, but probably not. Yeah, hard to say if they're even a podium chance here, sadly. 
right. And lastly, the ice dance again. Well, the ice dance is going to be held by the French. Papadakis and Ciceron have been unstoppable this season. Every time they're scared, they look great. So easy choice. Yeah, I think that their scores have been more consistent than the Russians, Sinitsina and Katsalapov. Um, the problem is Sinitsina and Katsalapov can have like freakishly good state skates at the right competition and then steal it. But Papadakis and Ciceron, I would also agree, is the more reliable bet. Yeah, that free dance for Sinitsina and Katsalapov uh, is really the weak link here. We'll say, I feel like, Dan, you've done pretty well with this. Like, whilst I don't necessarily agree with the Nathan Chen thing, I'm also like, you're not wrong. He probably is. He probably would just have won it, <laughs> like, as well. I think that you've studied well for the figure skating. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of study has gone into that this season. <laughs> and we'll move on to an event you could be more knowledgeable about. I don't know, it's cycling. You seem to be into it. <laughs> I mean, there are bikes involved and some of my favorite riders are involved, but cyclocross is not, um, you know, one of the disciplines that I follow pretty closely. I'm definitely a road and track man at heart. But um, one of the things that is really interesting is cyclocross is kind of trying to push up its profile a little bit at the moment. There's been some ways that they've been doing that. We've seen um, throughout this season, some of the most visible cyclocross riders in the world have competed in some of the most visible races in the world like the Tour de France. And the two guys who are most famous for their cyclocross exploits, even Jackie, I think you'd probably remember their names. Uh, one of them would be Wout van Aert, who won everything at the Tour de France. I do know and that other, name, yes. And the other is Matthew van der Poel, who held the yellow jersey for days on end throughout the Tour. I'm actually but, shocked that I knew two names. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things that is interesting is that the next cyclocross race um, is going to be in Valle di Sol, um, which is in the Italian Alps, and it's going to be in the snow because cyclocross has worked out that they're not getting into the Summer Olympics anytime soon because there's already too many cycling disciplines. So to the Winter Olympics, <laughs> cyclocross is trying to prove that it can be raced in the snow um, and should be part of the future Winter Olympics. It's an interesting proposition. Yeah, interesting is definitely the word for it. I like the idea of it almost. Um, I think that you can do some funky stuff with the Winter Olympics. So I think that this is a good argument as to be like, let's put a cycling event in the Winter Olympics. Go. The last cyclocross event happened in torrential rain and mud that was so much so that when riders came off their bikes, it looked like the bikes might sink into the course. So the snow is not going to be any worse conditions for racing. Um, and it makes a lot of sense in places like Beijing where there's not a heap of snow. So if you can race on a mixed, you know, frozen tundra and snow course or in Milano and Veneto or Cortina d'Ampezzo, like 2026, it's perfect. Um, so it is going to be something they're expecting more than 40 centimeters base snow. So there's plenty um, of snow and they're targeting a 2030 entry into the Olympics, but it's going to be a, a pretty interesting race. It's going to be somewhere between three degrees and minus seven, depending on the wind, uh, which is uh, chilly in most people's books, <laughs> especially to be brand, wearing thin lycra and pedaling very fast. Well, you know, given the brand of winter Olympic sports, basically being sounding very crazy and looking very crazy. I think it's, seems like it fits right in so there is a lot of lacquer in the winter olympics so exactly 
and there's move. a lot of speed downhill and there's a fair bit of crossover um of course the most famous kind of crossover between the winter olympics and cycling is primoz roglic who has finished second in the tour de france a couple of times who was an elite snow jump uh, ski jumper as a junior um, before making the switch to road cycling so you know who knows? Yeah, I wonder if they can get in by 20, like in for the 2030 bid. I think it will be dependent on who the host is. Um, yeah. Same with 2034, because they'll likely put another bid in. But at the same time, it's a solid bid, like to just be like, let's add cycling to this event. We had plenty it, of different events. And it captures a whole other market. You know, cyclists and cycling fans aren't really paying attention to the Winter Olympics but they absolutely pay attention to cyclocross. Um, and so there's no reason that you couldn't bring it in and, you know, bring back a market and expand kind of that Olympics um, movement and the Olympic sport range, you know, for the winter games. Plus it gives the Aussies an extra chance at a gold medal because let's be real, races on bikes give us better chances than most of the winter Olympic events. Moguls give us a chance and ski and snowboard cross give us a chance and we're really lucky speed skating well speaking of medal chances we've spent the last few weeks going through the curated list of NBC of athletes to watch in this this version um NBC have put together the new faces the ones that we won't recognize from the last time we were at the olympics so all of the nice young athletes who you know most of them were teenagers uh, but there'll be a few <laughs> there's a few adults in there so scary. Uh, but there's plenty of really exciting athletes and Jackie and Michelle were there any athletes that jumped out on this list to you and if you pick the figure skaters I'll be really upset because we know about Camila Valieva she's not a new face to you two <laughs> I mean we've already talked about it but I think Eileen Gu getting a second mention is excellent um yes she was mentioned in the snow athletes to watch that were international athletes but you just look at her record and the fact that she's only 18 and yes, she's been dealing with some injury issues at the start of this season, but she's someone that you've been told to pay attention to for this entire Olympic cycle almost. And now it's like, it's coming around. It's long awaited at this point. And so, yeah, I thought that whilst we've talked about her already at length, when we spoke about those international athletes, it is worth bringing her up a second time. That triple threat thing is still wild to me. The fact that she can be good at three very different events. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to talk about triple threats who are unbelievable, uh, I'm going to bring back uh, our reminder of Winter Vanecki, who's the aerial skier from the US, who I don't know if you remember, he's um, a marathon runner as well. Um, so, you know, she's completed a marathon on all seven continents before the age of 15 and now has gone, right, I'm 23. It's time to qualify for an Olympics that bears my name. And so she'll be the first athlete ever to be named winter competing at the winter Olympics, um, in the aerial skiing. So, you know, kudos to her. You can already imagine the articles they are going to write. Uh, you can imagine uh, the she, pun I'm writing medals? on the daily recap. Oh, that if, daily recap, if she meddles. Yeah. Winter just, has come. <laughs> you're just going to call dibs on, like, daily recaps on all of her medal events. Um, and? No. And what I'm, of it? <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. But <laughs> on top of that, like, yeah, it's just, can you imagine the articles that are going to get written if she meddles? <laughs> From 
not only US outlets, but just like every outlet. First Olympian named Winter to win a medal at the Winter Olympics. Puns galore. But Michelle, is there anyone that you were thinking that people should look out for that are on this list? I will bring up the figure skating again because that's what I do here. Um, NBC has obviously NBC has obviously mentioned Alyssa Liu, who represents the United States. We've talked about her a little bit. Um, very kind of successful junior career where she did a lot of triple axles. A little bit of a rougher time now that she's turned senior, but still definitely one to look out for uh, for the upcoming Olympics. So in those yeah. triple axles are just, you know, so important to have in your repertoire and to be able to do them so effortlessly like she does. You know, it's a huge, valuable asset. Well, yeah. And as I've said a couple of times, I think she's actually the only safe US woman to like make that team. Everyone else, I think, is going to be heavily dependent on their national results, whereas Alyssa could finish fifth at nationals and I'd still be sending her if I was the United States selectors. Undoubtedly, she has the highest scoring potential of all the US women. But another one that is yet another American that I think should be mentioned is 24-year-old Colby Stevenson, who competes in the free ski slope style events and the big air. In 2016, he had a crash when he was just 18 years old. It left him with a shattered skull, broken ribs, eye socket jaw, and neck. Pretty impressive that he's gotten back to skiing. But at the same time, I'm just like, oh my God, to get back to skiing, but also to get back to being fit enough and like strong enough to be going to a winter olympics is even more impressive on top of all of this yeah absolutely i mean to be able to recover from that kind of adversity it's not the only athlete to have that kind of story and you know we do love to hear about those stories of kind of recovery and and fighting through adversity but they're still always great to hear when we do get them so hopefully there's some success either in the slope style or the big air or both and we get to hear that story televised again and again and again it also proves kind of the mental strength that you could have something like that happen relatively early in your career and still have the strength to continue determinedly to try for a Winter Olympics. He couldn't make it to Pyeongchang because he was battling with a rotator cuff injury. So truly determination is fueling this athlete. Yeah, and I think an athlete that can't be ignored in this case is Conor McDavid, which of the three hockey players that are mentioned on this list is probably the one that everyone should be paying attention to. Uh, He is currently considered one of the top hockey players on the planet and he's only 24 years old as well. So he's still got a fair career left in him. And thankfully, due to the NHL allowing players to go to the Winter Olympics and them pausing their season this year, we are going to get to see him at an Olympics. Yeah, it is very exciting that we are going to get to see him at the Olympics finally. And you know, if all goes well, it's not going to be the only time we get to see him again in four years' time. But, you know, it'd be nice for him to be going with a medal or two in his pocket next time. And we might move on to the events that are left for this week for the Aussies because it's always great to see what we can see in the next week. There is still the curling Olympic qualifying event. If we do reach the final, that final is going to be on the 9th of December. It's probably going to be at a ridiculous time for Australians. Um I love Uh, that sleep deprivation for the Winter Olympics. I mean, the knockout finals are all on the night. So if we make the final, which if we do reach that final, we do make the Olympics, which is what we want. Um, It's probably going to be like 4am or something. Actually, 
maybe more like 1am but still at a ridiculous time as i was saying gotta love your sleep deprivation for the winter olympics yeah i made the bold prediction that this match was going to be over by the time we finished recording it's not uh it's six all after eight ends so they're going to extra ends why do you make these predictions jackie i know yeah i I formally apologize uh another big event is the aerials world cup in ruka finland uh, going from the 10th through to the 11th of December. Uh, the Moguls are back this week, uh, going from the 11th to the 12th of December in Indra Fajal. Uh, with a lot of the snow events, you can watch it on snow.org.au because we have been blessed. But as I said at the top of the show, it's really easy to fall asleep before they actually start. Uh, the Snowboard and Ski Cross World Cups are back. The snowboarders will be in Montafen, Austria, whereas the ski event will be in Valtorens, France. The ski event is from the 9th to the 12th of December, and the snowboarding is from the 11th to the 12th of December. And then the bobsleigh is back again. Uh, there'll be some in Winterberg, Germany. That goes from the 10th of December. Then there'll also be some skeleton on the 11th and the 12th. Yeah, there's plenty happening. It's very exciting. But there's plenty of other events. Like <laughs> this list this week is huge. So I'd say go to the uh, Australian Olympic Committee's website and check it out if you are interested. If we haven't mentioned a sport that you are into, because I reckon I skipped about 10 items on this list today. <laughs> Hit us up and we'll talk about it next week on the podcast. If there's a sport that you're interested in, let us know and we'll talk about it. So that was Ascending Olympus. Thank you for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Ascending Olipod. You can also find the reels that we post on TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. And we are now a part of the Edge of the Crowd network. So be sure to keep an eye out for www.edgeofthecrowd.com from January 3rd of next year. We're very excited and we hope to see you soon. (laughs) 